0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Thanks for joining me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And you're going to enjoy today. My new friend, who I've been friends with on Facebook for a long time, but just getting to know better recently, is with us, Ranny Childress, and, and Ranny's the founding senior pastor of Grace Ministries at RAFA, which means all are included. Uh, he's had a long and wonderful journey since his early days as a bartender, a ordnance man in the U.S. Navy, 15 years behind bars in Texas and Alabama. And he began his grace journey with Grace Communion International, then started with uh, people I started with too, Steve McVeigh, Baxter Kruger, Paul Young, Mike Zinker, but mainly the Holy Spirit, as he says. Uh, He's got an MS in counseling. uh, He's a chaplain. He helps lots of people in his part of the country and and around the world via the Internet. So, Randy, thank you for being with us today.
1: Glad to be here, Paul. Thank you.
0: Thank you. You all notice his his accent's just a little different than mine. I, you know here in here in Kansas we don't have an accent, but everybody else does. Right, <laughs> of <course. right. laughs>
1: well, You know Alabama's the capital of the world. I'd heard that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're not quite the end of the world here in Kansas, but you can see the end of the world <laughs> from here. You you can see forever, and especially in western Kansas. <laughs> well, Randy, as I, I really appreciate you being with us. And as always, I like to start out by asking my guest, uh, how has your growing understanding of God's unconditional love and grace and inclusion, how's that affected you where the rubber hits the road in your relationships, your friends, relatives, coworkers, the people you counsel? How's it made a difference there?
1: Well, Paul, it's changed it, uh, completely the way I minister, mm-hmm. the way I worked as a substance abuse counselor. It changed the way I work as a chaplain and a pastor. It changed my relationship with my wife and everyone mm-hmm. that, that I come in contact with. I came out of a you know pretty rough background, straight into real legalistic type religious movements. And uh, I thought at the time, that's what I needed and that, you know, I've been with groups that thought we were the only ones. We're the only ones that had that had it, and everybody else would maybe maybe get it later. But uh, <laughs> it's changed everything.
0: It has for all of us, and we'll get into that a little more deeper. Talk about the thinking we're the only group that had it. My daughter and her husband live in uh, North Augusta, but they work in Augusta. And in downtown Augusta, you drive down one street that's just got a ton of churches in it, and you'll come to one that says. The Holy Trinity Church. And a block later, the church is named the Most Holy Trinity Church.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit more holy. Yeah, just a
0: little bit more (laughs) holy. And uh, boy, we, yeah, I'm glad that those places is, is like you said. When you started in a uh, legalistic thing, I, I think the Lord orchestrates those for just what we need at that time in our life. What was it like in your life when you were behind bars when you got first started really listening to the Lord? Do I remember that right? And and uh, the yeah, organization, well, you yeah, were I, I
1: did a lot of time. I, I mean, I did a lot of awful things when I was young. You know, it took me a long time to realize that I was even forgiven for those type of things. But when I was incarcerated, you know, I had been incarcerated for probably five or six years. And I was still basically doing some of the same stuff I did on the streets as far as, you know, getting high when I could and misbehaving and violating all the prison rules and all that. But something just started changing in me. I I started realizing, look, I was too afraid to kill myself. Mm. Uh, so I I'm either want to feel better here. And I didn't think I really never thought I would get out of prison. Never thought I would be free Mm. from that prison. And I just started studying and listening and I got involved at first with, uh, I didn't want to be, I witnessed a lot of, uh, jailhouse conversions and religion in prison. I I knew a lot of guys that went to the chapel at the (laughs) prison You know, and they throw up the hands and pray and Mm. carry on and all that. Then they come back to the cell block and they were not any different than they were the day before they went to the chapel, you know. So I didn't want any part of that. I said, Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you, a turning point was for me, believe it or not, was an organization called Cairo. So I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Have you ever heard of the Emmaus Walk? Sure. With the prison version of that, it's the same thing. It's the prison version of that. It's called kairos. And uh, from my understanding, that's a Greek word that means God's time, special time. Anyway, they <laughs> volunteers came in and they'd had several of those. They'd have one like one a year there at the prison. And I never would go because guys said, well, they got plenty of cookies and drinks. And you get, they really they isolate us up in the visiting room or whatever. <laughs> and those folks come in and you know it's fun. You know, and I said, "Well, I'm not going for the cookies. I'm no, I don't care." And uh, finally, a guy I had got involved with a substance abuse program there, and that's part of my story too that we'll talk about. He asked me to go with him. He said, "I'll go if you'll go." So we went. And I guess the biggest part of that that was it impressed me. They were people. They were men from every kind of denomination you could think of from Catholic all the way down to charismatic. And they agree when they participate in that program, I know now because I ended up being a, a civilian quote participant in the same program years later that you have to just focus on that Jesus Christ is our savior, is born, you know, died, resurrected, ascended and keep it at that. No, you're asked not to push any denominational issues and that type of thing. So I was really impressed with it. And I really did experience through those men, regardless of what denominations they came from, they expressed some unconditional love to us guys. They didn't look at us and label us by whatever kind of crime we were in prison for or anything like that. And they just were really nice to me. And that just impressed me so much. And it motivated me to start kind of getting back into the Bible because I grew up around church. I was afraid of it a little bit because I grew up around Pentecostal holiness. They call it here in Alabama. And I equated getting involved with church or religion as not having any fun. So I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. It kind of scared (laughs) me because they did all that speaking in tongues stuff and all that. So I said, I'm going to go have fun. You know, and I had so much fun, it put me in prison and almost mm-hmm. killed me several times. So that was really fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was that kind of fun.
0: Yeah.
1: But it, it just led me to, through that Kairos experience, led me to get more involved. And somebody threw a magazine down on my bunk one day, and it was the plain truth from the old Worldwide Church of God. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, yeah. and I liked their little stories, and I got to reading it, and I'm like, now, this is for me right here, because these folks, they got it laid out exactly what you're supposed to do. And you got these festivals and I'm like, that's me right there. I don't want to go out here and get involved in all this old chapel stuff. You know, so I bought into that mm-hmm. and it really helped me at the time. And I, I wrote them and they ended up getting me in contact with a pastor that was in that area. And we corresponded, and he eventually came and visited me, and that's how. Of course, I don't know if any of you know the story, but what used to be the Worldwide Church of God is now Grace Community International, and they went through a radical change over the years, and Mm -hmm. uh, from legalistic to more Trinitarian thought. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I started my journey, but of course, that uh, I don't know where I go with this, but I know that that led me into getting studying and, and trying to get a a relationship back with because I knew there was God. I just basically kind of like in the recovery mm-hmm. circle. I knew there was a God and I knew I wasn't him. And that's about all I knew.
0: You know? So you reached out to that pastor. He communicated with you. He came to visit you and started helping you the, in that way,
1: right? I mean, we got to be good friends. Like we still are today. He's a pastor over here in Birmingham, Alabama, near where I live. He's retired, like I'm supposedly am, but you know how that is. But we got to be good friends, and uh, he eventually was given permission to come in and conduct my baptism yeah. there at the prison chapel. And then, as I say, as, as the time went on, uh, I don't know the program there at that prison was what that I got involved with—the uh, drug program or behavior modification. It was called a therapeutic community. And it was like they had chosen for, you know, now look back and I know things are not really coincidences. They chose that prison as an experiment for the first one in the country, in the nation to uh, place that type of program in a maximum security prison and uh, to cater to men like me who possibly would never get out. And they wanted to see how it would work. And it was sanctioned by the Department of Corrections in the the state. And I I remember one time looking out my cell and I saw these guys with suits and they're like unusual. And one of them was a former U.S. Senator, Hal Heflin, he's dead now. He's one of those old time Southern senators from Alabama. But he had been involved in getting, I guess, the grant money to do this. And somebody told me, they said they're going to start a program here that's going to be a, something unusual do you want to be a part of it and I'm like mm-hmm. no and they didn't choose me to start with they chose a core group of guys and I wouldn't of them. tell you that
0: mm-hmm.
1: but uh my buddy they chose my buddy and I'm like dang I, you know we had hung out together and we kind of looked out for one another and I knew him from home too we we're from the same hometown he said well why don't you see if they'll let you in too and then we both can go over there so we did. We went up and talked to the people in charge of it. And they say they kind of hesitated hesitant, but they allowed me. They said, okay, we'll let you come in and be the core group. Well, a few days later, maybe a few weeks, whenever they're getting ready, they chose the worst cell block in the prison, the, one, the worst one, where most the drugs, that's the cell block they chose they were going to put this thing in. And they were going to move this core group, those guys, over there and just... And I'm like, oh, my God. I looked at my buddy. And I said, I don't know how that's going to go. We looked out the window. And we saw them going in there with drug dogs. And I know this sounds crazy, but we looked at one another and said, you mean they're going to be serious about us not smoking dope or anything over there? <laughs> and uh, we, like, we we thought it was like going to be like a regular old routine prison program where they, you just go through and they give you a certificate and going about your business. We saw that we're going to be serious about this thing. So I said, uh-uh. Uh, so I told my buddy, I said, man, we got to get out of this. So we backed out. Really? We backed out. We didn't go. Within a few, my buddy, I won't go into details, but then he, he came to me with a plan to get some drugs smuggled in, in which... Uh, We did those type of things back in those days. And it goes on all over the country in the prison. But I said, uh, I had a bad feeling about it. And I never, I look back now and I was like, I don't, I told my friend, I said, look, because I usually with something like that. I said, yeah, count me in. I said, no, I, I don't want anything to do with it. He goes, what? I said, I got a bad feeling about it, man. I don't think it's a good idea. So I didn't. And sure enough, him and everybody involved with it got caught. And they all got through over in solitary and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was sitting there, and I remember when they come packed him up, was getting ready to take him to lock up, they call it. The officer looked at me, and he goes, we don't know how you slipped by, but we're going to get you. We know you're in. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I went over the next day, and I went. And I said, "Can is it possible I still get in this program?" I thought I, I was like, I'm not, "The heat's on me. I got to do something." Mm-hmm. So they did. They packed me up and moved me over to that program. Wow. And I'll say this: they it was they were fixing it up, and they made the guys were fixing. They were like they had made paint brushes out of aluminum cans. You know, like to sell in a store, they'd take them and cut them so thin, used it to to make homemade prank brushes. They cleaned the place up. It took a while, but I got involved. And this cell block turned into a treatment center that would anybody in the country would be proud of. It was quiet. (laughs) I mean, it just took over a period of time. It was a serious thing. They took it serious. We had groups, all kind of, uh, it was quiet. The It got to where they, were. they had fish aquariums in there. The officers would come by and take their breaks in there so they could get away from the routine of the rest of the prison. And the majority of the men, we just, if something happened, decided that we were going to prove to the system that we could do this. And we did, and it ended up being a model for the rest of the country.
0: Wow. Is yeah. that what led to you eventually getting released?
1: It played a big part in it. I It ended up getting me involved in a speaking program, which at the time they called it free by choice. And they would take inmates out, let them speak to kids and at churches and different things. I used to be, you might not know it now, but I used to be afraid to speak publicly, period. Yeah. But that program taught me and made me get up and learn how to speak in front of people. As a result of that, I got chosen as one of the guys that they would take out and let speak to kids and stuff, and uh, they'd bring me back. They'd take me out, you know, and it was kind of weird. You'd go out and speak and be out there all day speaking somewhere, and then back, he's right back in the middle of prison. Mm -hmm. It was just awesome, but that played a part in that. I came up for parole five times before I made it, but I came up, uh, I worked for the warden there for my last year. I was at at that dismantlement security prison. And he was a nice guy, I have to say. And he, I was just his runner; they called it uh, flunky would be a better word. I mean, I cleaned up, and you know, I washed his car, and I mean, I worked in around the offices out in the front. And they trusted me to be around the secretaries and all that, and to do work for them and empty their trash and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, when I didn't make parole that first time. He called and pulled strings and had me transferred to a minimum security prison, which they had granted me minimum security status because I had went taking a two-year college course. I had earned a two-year college degree while I was there, and they evidently thought that was impressive. There was a few of us that did that, and they used that to justify giving me minimum security, which only meant that I could be work out in my offices and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, they transferred me to a security camp. And it just, you know, and a lot of stuff happened. My wife started that, I'm married to now, started writing me because they had put my a name on the bulletin board at the church that I was affiliating with through the mail. And her husband had passed away, and she started writing to me. We've been married 23 years now. and Wow. Uh, I met her, you know, she started coming to visit me and stuff. Really? Yeah, when I was there at the prison and she'd been in worldwide a lot longer than me, you know, so there, there I was and I was like, whoa, now I'm at minimum security camp and there's a whole lot to it. I went to, a, a, they start, had me working at a canning plant where they made Kool-Aid and pancake mix and all this stuff that they used in the prison system. Because when I first got there to that prison, I'll tell you this, they they called me over and they sent me in front of what they call a job board. And there was a warden there then. I don't know. I won't go into detail, but he wasn't too friendly. And uh, the psychologist said, said, Mr. So-and-so, the warden, he said, I got a call from uh, Dr. So-and-so over to, you know, main office said, we might want to use this guy working in our drug program here because they had a little substance abuse program there too. said, because he's really good at it and he's been doing it for years and he can play. And that guy's like, now. I'm putting him to work. And he, so he put me in like one of the worst jobs there at the cannon plant. I just smiled and went on. I'd come in every evening covered in Kool-Aid powder and, you know, and I worked really hard. And the man that ran that plant was a civilian. He would, he worked for the Department of Creation, but he was not security. He was a civilian. And he got to talking to me, and I just chatted with him and talked. And he brought everybody lunch one day. And we we're all the other inmates that had been working there a long time, they said, we don't know what's happened to that guy. Said he has never been friendly to us. They said, but since you started working here, all of a sudden he's bringing us lunch and being nice to us. And then one day he kept he'd asked me about, he kept asking me about most things. And after a couple of months, he said, Come here. He loaded me up in his pickup truck and drove me back down to the little prison, which was a few miles down the road, and took me in. He says, Hey, and I thought, maybe I'd done something wrong. He took me in the job board office and said, Y'all need to keep this guy here. I don't want him back at the Canyon plant anymore. They go, What did he do? He said, Well, he didn't do anything but the best job that anybody's ever done since I've had anybody out there. He said, He's got a better attitude than anybody that I've met in a long time. And he said, What y'all need to do is turn him loose and let him go home. He said, Because I don't want him down there. He said, He don't need to be down there doing that. He needs to be up here teaching classes or something. And so they just sat there and looked at me. And they said, Okay. We're going to put you in the substance abuse program. So I started running that substance abuse program. I, the, the civilian man that ran it, he turned it over to me and I ran it. Wow. I taught the classes. I kept the notes. I did all that. Wow. Uh, and I got to uh, know, you know, the, the inmates there and a lot of thought things happened. And uh, I don't know a, it's a long story, but I, I was sitting there one day and I was teaching a class and they came and they said, they want to see you in the warden's office. I said, now what? They're going to put me back somewhere else, right? Well, somewhere were down the road, I had also gotten a little degree while I was incarcerated. because you know, I locked up a long time uh, in cooking, commercial cooking. So, I you know, I can cook too. And I had worked some in the officer's kitchen at the other prison. Well, they took me to the warden's office and, I, and they said, can you cook? I started to lie, <laughs> but I knew they had it in my file. I'm like, they're going to pull me out of my cushy office job, put me over in the kitchen. And I said, yes, sir. I, I know how to cook. They said, "Would well, you want to go to a county jail and be a cook? And I thought, a county jail, which is, you know, unusual. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, what county? They said, in his words, I don't know, some redneck county up in North Alabama. And sure enough, they'd requested me as the cook at a county jail in Fort Payne, Alabama, of all places where the Alabama boys are from, by the way, the country's for singers. And I'm like, this is strange. Well, they, they said, they're not going to let you go anyway, but they've requested you. They said, because you're not, you're because of the nature of your sentence and all that, so they're not going to let you go. And the other guy sitting in the office says, well, I'll tell you, Lieutenant. He said, if the right person signs their name on the right line, he'll go. And come find out that it had to be approved by the Associate Prison commissioner." And a friend of mine from the church at that time, during all this was happening and I didn't know, he actually went and met with that Associate Commissioner and sat in front of him and told him why I should be allowed to go do this. And to this day, he tells me, I hadn't seen him in a long time, he said that commissioner sat there and looked at him and was signing his name and said, I don't know why I'm signing this. I'm not supposed to be signing this, but I'm signing it. And he signed it, and the next morning, they loaded me up in the back of a sheriff's car and started hauling me to that jail. It was pretty cool.
0: Well, Yeah. Randy, we're out of time, but we're going to be able to do another episode that people will hear a week later and maybe even more after that. What a story you have. And thank you so much for sharing. I can see God's hand in your life through all of that and working all those things out. And when we come back and people will hear the next episode next week, we'll pick up there and tell them some more about God's hand on your life, if that's all right.
1: That's fine. Thank you for having sure. me. Sure.
0: Before we sign off, tell people how they can get in touch with you, how they can find you online, and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, well, if you'd like to check out our ministry, you can go to our website at www.graceministriesatrafa.com. That's all one word.com. Or you can contact me through my email at uh, chaplain170 at gmail.com. And uh, be glad to respond to you and answer any questions. And we have a Facebook page. It's under Grace Ministries of Golf as
0: well. Great. And you're helping lots of people there. you got a wonderful team. We'll talk about that some more. And we'll do that on the next episode. But we'll finish up now. Thank you, Randy, for being here. And thanks, everybody, for being with us. Another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you,